I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Sick Boy Podcast. We're going to do something a little bit different this week. Taylor, what happened this week? What did we do? We had our first phone call conversation. Which we promised we would never do. But we broke our promise. Because TJ Miller decided to call my cell phone. And you guys didn't... Uh, arranged so that I could be there. Well, you told us that day that you couldn't be there. Yeah, and then you said that you had a window of opening and we could have definitely recorded it at that time, but then we decided that we just keep it to the original time where you couldn't make it. Yeah. Sorry, Bri. That's okay. Um, so we recorded with TJ Miller. You might know TJ from uh, Silicon Valley fame. He was also a part of Transformers. He's also in Deadpool. And we got to talk to him about his brain malformation. So he's just on the fresh on the uh, trail of his JFL tour across Canada. And uh, he took some time of his busy schedule to sit down and have a little chit chat with me and Tay. Uh, So audio quality, little different than what we normally have. We're talking to him on the phone. However, uh, kind of a cool opportunity to hear someone like TJ talk about this brain malformation that he has and... uh, he offered up some pretty pretty interesting viewpoints on life. So we hope you enjoy it. Stick around for after the conversation. We're going to like have a little debrief. Little debrief. Little debrief. So Bri can feel included. Yeah. Just and, so uh, that when TJ listens back to this, he's like, ah, oh, that's a cool dude I didn't get to talk to. But one, in, just in case you miss it, because he's, he's a, let's just say he's a fast talker and he likes to talk. He, uh, he kind of puts this call to action um, and you'll hear it hopefully, but basically he wants, he wants people who are dealing with shit in their life to hit him up, tweet at him, tweet at, uh, what is it? Not, not TJ, not, not at, not TJ Miller. I think that's it. That's right. That's right. We'll double check that and then, and then let you know at the end. You'll know for sure at the very end of the episode, but this hit him is, up, this hit him is up on Twitter. Edit. This is an edit. It was a verified Twitter name. Use that. <laughs> you didn't edit that in. I'm not sure where that came from. Uh, okay, hope you guys enjoy the episode. We love you all and have fun. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is stand-up comedian TJ Miller. He has cerebral arteriovenous malformation. Let's talk about it. Uh, pretty good, dude. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good, man. Uh, th- so this is Taylor. And uh, I'm Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> Hi, TJ. Um, so, so, dude, we're, I, I don't know if you got a rundown on what we're all about, but basically... I, you know what I did? And and uh, and we can talk arteriovenous malformation. Yeah, so what the fuck is that? <laughs> That's what we were just talking about. My publicist and I were talking about how, you know, when people ask me about it, Kind of saying like exactly what you just said. What the fuck is that? And it's um, it's a congenital disorder where your brain is malformed in the womb, 
And so because the human brain is so elastic and incredible, you can kind of be brain damaged in the womb, but your brain will learn how to shift. You know, mine was in my right frontal lobe, so they removed sort of a golf ball-sized piece of my brain. And um, that's very lucky because a lot of people, if their AVM is sort of within the brain, like in the center of it, not on the outside, <clears throat> then it's in- inoperable. You can't, you, you would damage the brain by trying to take it out. Oh, Jesus. What happens is these malformations, you can go years, decades, they're usually found in autopsy because most people die from them um, because that part of your brain is more likely to hemorrhage. And when your brain hemorrhages, one of three things can happen. You can have a seizure, which is what I'm prone to, or you can have a stroke, or you can have an aneurysm. And I prefer the first and the third option. <laughs> like if, if it has to happen, that's what that's what you're going for. Yeah, yeah but all of those things... Yeah, because I'd rather either just die immediately or a seizure is where you black out and when you wake up, everybody's crying and scared around you. <laughs> you, just, you, know, you, you, make you don't know what the fuck's going on. But yeah, yeah, but it's okay. And, you know, stroke usually leaves you with some sort of paralysis often permanent. Um, but I take Keppra, which is an anti-seizure medication. I take Lamictal, which is an anti-mania and anti-seizure medication. And then I smoke a copious amount of marijuana. I smoke <laughs> marijuana every every day. Every day? <laughs> so, smoke weed every day. So, um, and that's, that's because it has been shown, especially using Indicas, which is primarily what I smoke. And again, Canada is even farther along than the United States on the marijuana tip. We love our but weed. Indicas to slow down synapse firing. And so that, again, prevents overactivity in the brain that leaves lead to a hemorrhaging and um but you know i i had two seizures after i did yogi bear 3d i'm not going to say they're because of yogi bear 3d like <laughs> i have a theory that it, it's overuse of cell phones my neurologist um you know explain that you really shouldn't ever have your phone to your head for longer than a minute oh god using headphones or put it on a speaker phone I, I, I was gonna say what about having your phone too close to your ball sack because i when i drive I usually tuck my phone like down into like where my gooch is. Oh no, so do I. Yeah, don't do that. I don't know why you're doing that. <laughs> you're, you're actively trying to not have kids. It's a fun way for your brain and your dick, which for some men is the same thing. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, no, yeah. And so you know, I, I just I I used my cell phone a lot, and then I was using a New Zealand cell phone, which their ratio of sheep to people is about 10 to 1. So I think they have the highest tech requirements for cellular technology there. But I was using that in immense or hours and hours I was talking. And uh, so that may have aggravated it. But they said to me, you know, I have kind of this battery of psychological professionals now, psychologists, psychiatrists, neurologists, brain surgeons. And they actually said, they said, it's a good thing that you weren't sleeping, that you were depressed while shooting this movie, and that you were drinking a lot, which we don't usually tell people, but that made it possible for us to catch the AVM instead of in an autopsy. Oh, that's wild. I have a bit about it on the internet that's kind of a funnier version of all of this, but it was very much a, um, you know, it was very lucky, and it, uh, you know, because it was operable... They ended up doing it, but they said to me, they said, 
know, before I, they left, just some poor intern had to come in and say, okay, so we're going to do this operation if you elect to do it. You don't have to do it, but it's got about a 10% fatality rate. So chances are every one out of 10 operations we do, somebody dies. Do you remember the moment where you had to, like, so I just had major surgery uh, just about three and a half weeks ago. I had 70% of my large intestine removed. Um yeah, uh, and it, it totally sucked. But the the thing that I'll never forget is the moment, like, basically signing the waiver that says, you know, if you fucking die, uh, it it can't come back on us. And there was just, there was, yeah. And, and a, big, a big part of that waiver is them being like, we're going to do the best we can, but this is dangerous surgery. You know, I mean, there's just that's sort of what they're saying. Is there no, there's no way around the fact that we don't have the medical technology to guarantee that this is safe. Exactly. And yeah, I felt the same thing. I mean, except with me, I, even before this, I kind of I'm not a big like afraid of death guy. And I so I said, and I go, well, what happens if I don't get the operation? And they were like, well, you'll probably die in your mid thirties. I was like. Okay, then I guess I'm a gambling man. I guess <laughs> go for it. And I think that a lot of times, you know, you either have to decide, all right, we're at a place in history with medical technology that it's worth the risk, or you cannot. I mean, you know, I've never had cancer, but I never understand these people that are like, I'm not going to do chemo. It's like all right, I guess you can do holistic treatments. Why the fuck wouldn't you do that and chemotherapy? And, you know, I, I, but that's everybody's personal decision. You know, they don't want to, but I always think if we have the med tech, then why not? Why? And it worked perfectly for me. I had no, yeah. I, I got done with the surgery and they were like, okay, well you can leave like tomorrow or the next day. Holy shit. I was like, what? Do I have to do like physical therapy? And they're like, nope. It worked. You're good to go. When it works, it works. Yeah. You, know, you either die or they're like, okay, do you want a lollipop on your way out of the hospital? <laughs> it was so bizarre how casual all of that was. And then now, you know, I mean, I think a big thing with Kate especially and almost one of the reasons that I left Silicon Valley, one of the things that, um, that I sort of felt was that you know, you, I, I don't know. I mean, you just, you, you do what you can to try and survive. And, you know, some people make fun of like, um, there's comedians that have jokes about like, I fought cancer, right? Or I won a battle with cancer. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, I mean, it wasn't really a battle it's just, or something. No, you, it's a fucking fight. And human beings are designed try and survive and so i have the utmost respect and people should think of it in those terms you're fighting for your life and why wouldn't you isn't that the most important thing to fight for especially if you're the type of person that's kind and trying to bring goodness into the world like those are the people that should fight and do fight and when you win any battle against your body you know failing or flailing is what kate and i always say you know, if you win that fight, then you should feel like you've gone to war and come home successfully. Yeah, right. Especially, I mean, so, some of the therapy <laughs> shit is like so heavy duty that 
you might as well just be going into the ring and getting your ass kicked by a professional boxer every single treatment. And, you know, the ABM thing, some people have to figure out how to be treated without a surgery, and those can be really complicated, you know? I, I met someone who lost their sense of smell because they had an ABM, the parietal lobe, and they needed to have it embolized. And, you know, they gained back some of that original sensory skill set. But, you know, when I talked to this girl in Kansas, she was like, you know, what am I going to do? Just die? Like, I don't, you know, they say stop and smell the roses. Well, you can't do that if you're dead. Yeah. So I'd, I'd rather... And those are huge, hard choices that should be applauded, that should be really... And that was that was one of my things was every time I meet somebody who's had an ABM, I say, you know, you it might feel like the loneliest thing in the world because so few people have this condition, but there are so many people out there that have undergone every version of this experience. And so, you know, that's really, really nice. And I... I wanted to tell the story because I know what your guys' podcast is about. Mm-hmm. So I was in, I was at a wedding with Kate. There was Pete Holmes, a comedian, his, his wedding. So I saw Kumail Nanjiani from Silicon Valley was there. And there's just all these buddies. But it was also friends of Pete from back in the day, college and stuff. And they just, they were having a tough time, I think, in general with the fact that there were celebrities at the wedding. Like, I think that's, probably the shittiest thing about being any sort of celebrity is that it gives people status anxiety when they should not have status anxiety. And this girl kind of was being so rude to me and Kate, but she was just being really rude where like everything I'd say, she'd be like, like Kate and I met doing a chorus line in college. And because nobody who was black auditioned, I got the part of the black guy. You know, <laughs> right. and created such a silly situation for me also trying to hit on this beautiful girl that I would later marry. And, you know, this woman was like, oh, that's despicable. And just she just everything that I said, she was being mean to me. And then as soon as I started talking about the ABM, she changed her tune and was like, oh, my God, you had that. I actually work with kids in the children's hospital in the neuro, you know neurological ward. And so some of these kids have had ABM. You know, would you come and speak to them about it? And I was like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Because no, absolutely I not. Did you, do you know how you just spoke to me? <laughs> you treat, well, and here's the thing. You treated me like shit until you found out that I was sick. And so you don't get to benefit off that because I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to introduce myself as sick. Mm. Yeah. Just like somebody, just like somebody who has cancer doesn't want to be defined by that, mm-hmm. right? And 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 how dare you only find humanism within me after you find out that I have had a sickness and gone through the process of being sick? And that, you know, speaking of Kumail, I was going to sort of segue into that. That his film, The Big Sick, is all real, all true to life. Emily, you know, co-wrote that with him, mm-hmm. and. That movie is so much about how suddenly any sort of sickness can just wreak havoc on people's lives, but yet on the other side of it, you know, be the most rewarding experience in their lives. And mm-hmm. I, I think Kumail and Emily will say that, like, 
it was that experience that made them understand they can get through anything together. If you are sick, like let's say you you underwent that operation, you've changed the way your body is. You fucked with your intestinal tract, which is one of the most complicated parts of the human body. But you did that, you got through it, and you're back podcasting and helping other people. And if you're healthy, you'll never know that. Not only of like battling and winning whatever your sickness was, but also being able to then return to work. And in this case, your work, like my work, is for other people. It's to make yeah. other people happy and feel less alone and laugh and, you know, feel connected and all that shit that is so important right now more than ever. And, you know, I think strangely, like Emily and I are better friends because we both know what it's like to almost have died. Mm -hmm. We understand what that is. And it, it makes everything a little bit more real. And I, I kind of feel bad for healthy people because they, they will never have that. Right? They might just get sick one time at the end of their life and die. And that's it. Whereas a kid who dealt with cancer at age eight. It's fundamentally going to change different. his entire life. Yeah. He's going to have a different life. And he's probably going to be a more badass motherfucker because he got through that. And then his friends are complaining about being bullied at school. And they just, the value system is just different. Mm. And he's and, like, yeah, uh, well, fuck you, and, I survived that, cancer. That's one of my favorite things about meeting other people who are sick or who have been sick. It's one of the things that we've learned the most from doing this podcast. You know, it's like you, to have the lowest of the lowest of the lows, it's one of those things that is literally just going to launch you to the highest of your highs of your life. And so, it, you know, it is, it is, it is vitally important to have those experiences <laughs> And, and so, like, when you were talking about, uh, you're talking about this experience, like, you and Emily had this experience where you kind of re relate to each other better now, both having come kind of close to this point of death. Like, has has that experience of, uh, of like, you know, a brush with death, has it, like, how has it changed your, your view towards death? And then how did it change? You kind of touched on it with Silicon Valley a little bit, but how did it change the way that you go about your work and how you choose your work? Well, two things. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say it doesn't, I'm not the best candidate to talk to about the death. So I never really have been afraid of death. I believe in that, that philosophy of Epicurus, which is like when we are, death is not. And when death is, we are not. And so you never cross paths with that thing. So why would you be scared of it? Mm. It's like being afraid of a monster that you'll never come into contact with. Right. Yeah, it's, totally. like, it's like it's an imaginary fear essentially. Yeah, but I totally agree. I'll say this, as far as how it's affected the way that I work, it's, you know, Kate is constantly helping me monitor the, the fact that I'm on the edge of mania at any point. And so, if I, you know, now I'm, of course, addicted to Lamictal because I'm like marijuana, it's all chemical. And if I miss my Lamictal dose, and a lot's going on, and I open the fucking news app, and I start to read about what's happening in the United States, and then I start to try and think about how I can help and how this can be fixed, and before you know it, I'm so manic that no one can bring me down. And for a while, I was using nitrous oxide, because that's just something that people use in dentist's office, and it's just a very calming, mentally calming drug. But even that is like... It stopped working, 
And so there was one time where they had to interrupt the production schedule for Silicon Valley because, and they couldn't fire me legally because I had, I had reached a state of mania that was so severe that I destroyed my computer because I thought that the government was watching me and I was hallucinating. Whoa. There were mechanical drones that were coming. And so what happens is my mind can get to a manic state that is almost the level of paranoid schizophrenic. And so that's why it's like I really do have to have a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a neurologist, a surgeon, just people that are kind of monitoring because when you're manic, you don't understand or think that you're manic. Your mind is moving too fast to be self-aware. And I also have been, I have this strange sort of kinship with bipolar disorder people, people that are kind of have that manic depression, mm-hmm. but I don't ever have the depressive side of it. Right, so you're just I going can understand, I can understand half of their disorder, but that depression I can't relate to. And I think the depression is the one that, you know, that's the killer in that disorder. That's yeah. the thing that just, if you can't pull yourself out of that and you're not medicating it correctly, you just, you're trapped. Well, you're we spoke, we've spoken with a, a number of, a, a number of people that with uh, bipolar and depression and stuff. And, you know, it's almost like they, they describe the manic as, as this like tr- almost sometimes a treat in the, in the, in the, right. the fluctuation that they go through. Yeah, it's the only time that you're experiencing euphoria, right? Yeah. yeah. The rest of the time, you're either baseline or you're swinging in the dep- like to the depressive side of that kind of mental puzzle. And then once you get to the mania, you're like, wow, everything's going great, everything's good, this, this, this. But the crash after your manic, which I've experienced quite a bit, is like horrible. Because you look back and you're like, you know, you, you, it, this happens to a lot of people that experience man. You look back and you're like, why did I say that stuff? Why did I do that? You kind of, finally, you're aware of how you were behaving and it's embarrassing. It's kind of like, um, I guess, what it would be to be an alcoholic. You wake up every day and you're like, why did I get so drunk? Why did I do all right. these things? And why couldn't I stop myself from doing that? Those are the people that like have that are actually alcoholics where they just can't not drink and the mania just you can't stop thinking and you can't do the first thing that comes to your mind it's going to be this and this relates to this and that means this and it's just it's very and that's when I have seizures is when my brain is moving so fast fast that it Mm -hmm. hemorrhages are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice it's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. Do you have a do you have a most embarrassing mania moment that sticks out? Oh God, pick them! I mean, I fucking I got so manic like a week ago or something that I just basically unloaded and alienated a good portion of my family because they had you know in some ways rightfully so, but they you know these two people in our family voted for Trump. 
And Ooh. I just got to a point of mania where I, and I'm very good at destroying people verbally. Right. Stand up comedian. And so it just races you into a place where you're like, I have to do this now. I have to talk to these people. They need, you know, justice needs to be served. They need to understand that they're, they, you know, their actions have repercussions. And what's, what's ironic about that is that the mania is creating actions that have real repercussions. And so it's just, it's all very, very confusing and difficult. You know, it's a weird thing where there's a loneliness to being sick that you just can't expect people to understand. You have to be patient with people that they can't relate to what you're talking about 100%. They can mm. try, they can be empathetic, but it's, it's actually, unfortunately, on you, the sick person, to say, well, I, I don't think that this, you know, this person doesn't seem to understand my sickness or the, the, the health problems that I've had. And so I actually have to be the one that's patient with them. That was, you know, I always joke that I had a Socrates moment before the surgery because here I am going into surgery with a 10% fatality rate. And I ended up being the one taking care of everyone in the room just like Socrates did when he drank the poison. Everyone around you is crying and they don't understand and they feel so powerless when really it's you that should be feeling all those things. But you end up, that's one of the challenges, the burdens, or the things that make you stronger is that when you're sick, you end up taking care of other people mm -hmm. because they just can't relate. They don't know what to do or how to talk about it or what the deal is. I have a friend that was paralyzed from the neck down. She and I were like co-presidents of our high school. She's one of the most talented actors alive. And that just wreaked havoc on her life, obviously. And she and I always talk about how no one will joke with her about being in a wheelchair or talk to her about it. Or, and they kind of, I'm the only person that's like, you know, let's go someplace that's handicapped, inaccessible so that we can dish rag it. And, yeah, she, right. and she loves that because that, that's a real part of her fucking life and again that's an example of someone who's had a catastrophic health uh, event and uh, I've had you know my own version of that and so that makes us closer and able to talk about it more and that's why I always say it's like if you're sick and all of your friends are healthy then you're not going to be able to like unload in the same way that you could if you've got some other friends that have had health problems in the past or are currently dealing with the sickness that's actually a uh, a criteria for all my friends i say uh, how sick have you been in your life and if they say nothing i say fuck you i'm out <laughs> and uh, go make friends elsewhere yeah, really? yeah head straight to the hospital <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> TJ, I know that you're you're in the midst of a JFL uh, tour right now, and uh, I also know that um, you know as a stand-up comedian, uh, life life experiences are so vastly important for coming up with new material. And I'm wondering if this this experience of your um, your 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 AVM has has affected uh, your your stand-up and has affected the material that you're bringing the stage. Well, I think, you know, in, in a way, I have this, I have a bit about it that's online and it's like one of the most popular videos in my stand-up ever. I, I've done that and now I don't really talk about it in my stand-up, but I think that I'm starting to come to terms with, and this is actually the first time I've ever talked about that, 
I think I'm starting to come to terms with the fact that it's, uh, I would be remiss to not mention in my stand-up, like, because I talk about death. I talk about time theory. I talk about death. I talk about releasing the death anxiety. And it's just, it, it, I would be withholding something from the audience if I don't say to them, like, listen, I've been as close as you can come to the edge. And it was not my decision. But that's what ended up happening. And I'm telling you, because of that experience, listen to me as I talk about death. And so I, but I, I think in a way, you know, I've been joking with Kate lately that people don't really want to, they, they don't want to swallow that pill that is, I am brain damaged and I almost died. Mm. You know, they just don't want to bring that into the equation. They just, they can't wrap their mind around the idea that, my mind has been affected by a severe malformation that's been around since I was a little baby boy. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, it's almost like I have to come to those terms first. And then I think like some people don't want to be defined by being a cancer survivor. But if you don't allow yourself to identify with that aspect of your life experience, then you're kind of lying to yourself and everyone else. I agree. Yeah, I think I, I mean, I think it's so vitally important to own the shit that you've been dealt, like just own it, own, own the fact that you have gone through this like really intensely um, hard, you know, time in your life, because that again, we were talking about earlier, that's the thing that makes you amazing that's the thing that makes you who you are so to push that away and to ignore it you you yeah it's what makes you you in this moment and in the present Mm -hmm. and yeah i think owning it is owning it is better than pretending like it hasn't happened and it's never going to happen again Mm -hmm. so that's the other thing i think is really important is people who have been sick kind of day-to-day you know are thinking i'm i'm really lucky for this day because there's an alternate universe where this day never happened. Right. You know, sickness does not uh, care about race, religion, age, gender, any of that stuff. I mean, it's just it, it's and it, so it is this great equalizer. Sickle cell anemia kind of cares about race, I, I think. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, I've heard sickle cell anemia is like very selective in terms of race, but... And cystic uh, fibrosis, apparently, is uh, only white people. That's, yeah, so... But, sorry, sorry to cut you off there and, and prove you wrong, but, sorry, continue. Well, I mean, cystic cell anemia is not even really a real disease. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, I, I think that I would like, and I was excited to the podcast, because I would like more people who are sick to kind of feel like they're part of a club like they've been to a similar war and come out on the other side of it and that should be something that kind of bonds and connects people rather than makes you feel lonely because everyone else around you is healthy you know and i think that's why that's why i'm never going to speak at that woman's children hospital board yeah 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 right and it's funny like when we when we started when we started producing this podcast we actually she kind of did it as a joke. We went to a library where they had free gear. We sat down. We thought it was funny to talk about Jeremy CF and the, you know, him 
having a, a hot nurse stick a balloon up his ass for with fluid when he was young, and and it, and it ended up turning into just just that what you were saying, which was a like an accidental club for sick people to come and, and and meet and talk about their experiences, and then through that we've kind of created this network of people that have like a, a like a support system of sorts that you know you don't have to go and you don't have to sit down in a group at you know your local church or community center you can pop on headphones and and kind of get it from wherever you are so it's kind of been this accidental thing and I'll, I'll say too that you know you guys are funny and there's a there's a big part of this stuff that is so fucking tragic that there's no other i mean it's like the administration of the united states and everything that's happening but it is so tragic the only thing you can do is laugh. Mm-hmm. The only thing you can do about it is laugh. I mean, you know, even what you just said, we're kind of giggling about a hot nurse putting a balloon up his ass, but that's a fucking weird, uncomfortable, for many people, embarrassing mm-hmm. life experience. But if you kind of laugh about it, if you kind of make fun of, like, isn't that a fucking disaster? What a catastrophe. So there's no way I can ask the nurse, like, hey, when I, like, go out and get drinks, you see my asshole. <laughs> yeah. And we might go to the next level. <coughs> yeah, you know, exactly. the idea of making that funny is so important, too, because, you know, when you're sick, it's it's a little bit harder to laugh. You, you sometimes are kind of, like, just downtrodden. You know, there's just, you, you can't seem to find anything to smile about. Even if things are going well... In the back of your mind, you're like, I'm sick. I'm sick, and I'm going to keep having to deal with this, and it's not going away, or who knows what the end of this will be. And so that's why it's so cool that you guys are doing a podcast where, yeah, you pop on headphones, you hear people like me kind of talking about it and joking about it, and then hopefully when you're done with the podcast, you go into the rest of your day or week kind of laughing about like yeah it is a fucking piece of shit situation it is a goddamn disaster on the daily but you know who knows i mean i always say like you know my joke with kate is is i'm like well there's two options for a manic either medicate me or take me shopping and i'll buy you everything (laughs) that i absolutely am about to make a million dollars off this idea where i'm turning dog shit into steel i mean you know it's it, we, we kind of have to joke about it because it's so scary sometimes that she's called the police. Oh, wow. Like, we need, we need to get you to a hospital because your mind is racing so fast that you're probably, you could have an aneurysm mm-hmm. at any moment here. And that's scary. And that's not, and by the way, you know, people like her also, it's like that Al Anon thing. Like, I always joke with my drug addict friends that, um, you know, people are like, well, I go to Al-Anon because it's just as hard to be a family member of an addict as it is to be an addict. And, you know, I, I always joke with this guy who used to be a heroin addict. He's like, <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, is it? Is it pretty tough? Were you at the bus station trying to buy heroin at fucking three in the morning after you broke out of rehab? And, you know, later you get beat up and some guy tries to have you suck his dick. Like, that. <laughs> yeah, you definitely need your own support group. But I, I think in some ways, sometimes I feel like Kate is also battling a sickness by just having to kind of be around this guy who can be mentally unstable because of a disorder in his brain. 
And for that, I kind of applaud everybody. I think people who are sick should every so often take a moment to be like, hey, thank you to everyone around you who's been supportive. Like, thank you because I know that this isn't easy on you either. Yeah, taking and, taking the... And, and you probably can't, you probably feel like you can't complain. That's yeah. what happens with Kate. I'm like, it's okay to be like, this is the fucking nightmare sometimes with you, TJ. Because she's like, well, I'm not the one that's going through it. You know, so I don't feel comfortable complaining about it. It's like, no, just it's life is hard in so many different ways. And and being sick and being with someone who's sick is one of those ways. But that's what keeps those relationships healthy, you know, is that is is being able to complain. And like you said, in, a, in kind of a constructive way rather than a wallowing way, you know, if, if, like that's what that's what can I think can lead to the destruction of a, of a relationship when like the the significant other or a family member or a, a good friend of someone who's sick with something and deals with somebody uh, who's going through something when they when they bottle that up uh, for too long or they let it escape them in this unhealthy kind of way, then the relationship suffers where there you know there's a, a fine balance, there's a delicate kind of uh, relationship that goes on between people that are sick and people that care for people who are sick or significant others. And when that when that relationship and that communication is healthy, it's great, or it can be great. Yeah, and you also don't want, you know, sometimes my psychologist is like, when you put Kate in the position of feeling like a nurse, where she's like, did you take your medication? I need to remind you to take your medication. You seem to be being manic. Is everything okay? That That's not what you want for a significant other, and it's not what you really want from a significant other. Mm-hmm. And so that's an important thing, too, to say, like, to be able to say to someone who's sick, I'm not your nurse. You know, I, I want to support you and help you, but you either have to be your own nurse or get an actual nurse. But just, you know, you don't want to get stuck in that patient-nursing relationship with someone. And the only way out of that is being open and transparent about all of it. Yeah. yeah, that's the big thing for Kate and I in general. Is like the more transparent you are in your relationships, the healthier they're going to be. Mm. It's just you know we don't need to tiptoe around stuff as much as we do, and the more we're blunt and honest, uh, as long as we're not mean and we remain in a kind frame of mind, um, which rhymes and continues to rhyme. Congratulations. Uh, you know, as 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 long as you're coming at it from that angle, then be transparent both as the person who's sick and the person that is caring about, right? You don't want people to care for you. You want people to care about you. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing is I, I kind of sometimes am the most flattered when somebody comes up after a show and is like, you know, I had a similar situation or I saw your thing online or I really needed a laugh because I'm currently going through physical therapy physical therapy for this thing and you know that's another thing that I encourage people to do is like keep consuming comedy yeah because laughter is actually literally a good medicine it's a huge therapy yeah 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 and so you know that and that's why I'm touring as a stand-up comedian it's like I don't only want you to sit at home and stream Silicon Valley and watch Deadpool a third time sometimes it's about getting the fuck out of the house making a night of it, you know, laughing throughout, being there with friends or just coming alone and feeling connected to everybody in the audience. 
And that's, you know, that's as important as anything else. That's as important as, you know, staying healthy and eating the way you're supposed to eat and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, TJ, man, thank you so much for taking uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to shoot the shit with us. Um, oh, thank you. And I love, I love that you guys have this podcast. I love that you're doing it. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to come back on the show another time. And I hope listeners and you guys will come and see my show when I'm in town because yeah. it's a lot of fun. And well, it's like life is kind of a shit show. So you might as well come to a comedy show in the midst of it. <laughs> well, Dude, I fucking love that. That's here's great. A, uh, here's a couple things. So, uh, A, it would be awesome to have you on the show again. If we ever happen to land in the same city, it would be sweet to sit down and, and have a conversation. And uh, and what what are the what are the cities that you're hitting on your on your tour? So many. So, so many. But I think the closest... Well, you can go to hahaha.com. But I suppose the closest city to Halifax would be... I mean, you know... It's Ontario to BC, and also I'll be back. I mean, that was a big part of why I did this tour, is because I want to build up, you know, the audience in Canada, because there's there's such good, you know, the comedy up here is some of the best in the world, and some of the best comedians in the United States are Canadian, ironically. But, you know, I, I, I've been playing Edmonton for 10 years. I, uh, you know, I do Deadpool in Vancouver each time we make one of those movies. So I feel strong affinity and connection to Canada. And yeah, I would love to come through, do a show near you and also like, yeah, sit down and have a real talk. And, you know, even uh, I, I want to encourage everybody who's listening, like even to hit me up on Twitter and reach out. I always have time talk to people who've gone through the stuff that we're talking about and the stuff that you guys have been through and the stuff that I've been through. I think that that's, um, again, I always have, I always have time for anybody who's sick. Sweet, sweet, sweet. dude. Well, uh, good luck with the rest of your tour and, uh, we look forward to chatting with you again someday. Thanks man. We'll talk soon. All right. All later right. TJ. Take it easy. Right. TJ Miller just called us funny. Yeah, TJ Miller just called <laughs> us on the phone, and we had a 45-minute conversation Dude, with him. fuck, that was cool. Okay. Sick Boy Podcast, we'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Well, guys, that was pretty cool. Pretty it neat, was. huh? It was. Um, uh, I would be lying if I said I'm not a little bit jealous. I know. It I was know. pretty cool. Um, but I did get to listen to this recording, just like everybody who's listening to this now. And, uh, man, he said some pretty profound things. Yeah. Like, you know, he's, he has an ability to really, really expand his thoughts. Uh, and he totally nailed it on a, on a few occasions there. Yeah. Do you mean expand his thoughts? Like talk on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> he's very good at going from uh, making connections. We'll say that's yeah. it. That's the mania. Yeah, absolutely, up, absolutely, yeah. and and Which, it's God like, damn it, that's got to be a fucking like gift for a comedian. Yeah, 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 man. Like when he when he talked about uh, verbally destroying his family members, mm -hmm. when he got real real about his Donald Trump, uh, his Donald Trump ire. Mm. Yeah, I think though on on the positive sides of like the of the things that I took away from the conversation, um, he said one thing that that really kind of it was really profound for me he said uh, death is like being afraid of a monster that you'll never meet because it's this thing that when we experience death we won't experience what we're experiencing now which is life so 
like had those roads will never cross. So mm-hmm. why are we, why do, why are we feel fearful for something that we'll never encounter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're fearing something that you will never know what it actually feels like. Yeah. yeah. It was a pretty, that was a pretty, that one rocked me as soon as he said it. I'm stoked yeah. that he's, he's got that. Like, I mean, you know, I have a very similar viewpoint on it. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm totally gung ho for the idea of, of not like pushing it away. And, when he was, when you jumped into that, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, that's super cool. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that he, uh, he dons a similar sort of worldview. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I also, I also liked he, in, uh, in one of his like very quick moments of, of, of thought as he was, as he was speaking really quickly, he said he referred to bipolar disorder as a mental puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really interesting because it is a puzzle. It is interesting in which the, the disease kind of connects from this intense experience of, of mania like TJ experiences. And then also with the depression, it's this thing that's so hard to read and so hard to react to and so hard to treat and take care of that. It is like this really hard puzzle that, that we're trying to solve as society, as, as doctors, as, um, people who live with it and the challenges they go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just said he said the word mental mental puzzle, which is has this such such a deep meaning to that. Uh, in rather than saying like mental disorder, mental sickness, or or one of those words that connotes like a, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And we had a really good conversation about the community aspect and the fact that he is. Uh, he is a, a traveling comedian travels all travels all over the world doing comedy. Uh, he's, you know, shooting television shows and movies and stuff, but he was, you know, more than gracious to say, you know, I've always got time for people who want to reach out and talk about this stuff. Um, I've got all the time in the world for that. We thought that was pretty cool. So if you want to tweet at, uh, TJ, his handle is at, or at not TJ Miller on Twitter. Um, any idea of the uh, Instagram tags? I guess he's probably just on Twitter. Maybe. Uh, yeah, he's on Instagram. He is on Instagram. Um, but I think Twitter's is like primary sort of like. Yeah. So that's way at, of interacting at mm-hmm. not TJ Miller at N O T T J M I L L E R. Tell him sick boy podcast sent you <laughs> yeah. or hashtag sick boy podcast so that he realizes how cool our podcast really actually he, he, he tweeted at us after, I mean, this is just me kind of, uh, uh, bragging a little bit, but also just <laughs> feeling like really proud and excited about it. But he tweeted at, at us right after and was like, absolutely loved doing this podcast. And, uh, and he gave a shout out to the, the big sick, which also, if you haven't seen that movie, go fucking see it or like rent it as soon as it comes out on, on iTunes, which I think is like really soon. Yeah. Like go to your local blockbuster, <laughs> you know, pick Just it up read for an article about blockbuster in Alaska, still alive <laughs> and kicking actually. Oh, uh, is it? Yeah. That was a vice article, wasn't it? It was. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Sweet. Well, that's it for today. Yeah. Until next week. <laughs> I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy. And this is sick boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.